Hello, welcome to the Rhode Island Small Business Coalition live forum. I'm your host, David Dedekian, a small business owner here in Rhode Island. I own Eat Drink Rhode Island. And we've got another fantastic guest with us this week. He's got limited time today, so we're going to jump right in with General Treasurer Seth Magaziner, who's also a candidate for uh, Congressional District 2 here in Rhode Island. So Hi, David. please give a, a nice welcome on Facebook. If you have comments and questions and things like that, put them there in the in the chat on Facebook. And we've got Treasurer Seth Magaziner here with us. Welcome, sir. Well, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Uh, it's great to have you here. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, have this conversation. I know it's an extremely busy time of of, uh, of the season for you. Uh, have you have you filed yet? Have you done your paperwork? Uh, yep, yep. We filed. We are we are running uh, to um, uh, to stand up for Rhode Island in in Congress and to fight for small businesses, fight for education, a clean energy future, and uh, we're getting a great response. We're off to a great start, and I'm very grateful to you for the work of your organization in lifting up Rhode Island small businesses and our uh, food and beverage and hospitality sector, which uh, you know is very much the lifeblood of our economy. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. Uh, yeah, there's. A million different topics. Obviously, we could we could talk about uh, in regards to, to Congress and, and what's going on, um, you know, in, in the race. Uh, but let, we'll, we'll try and stick and focus the small business here today, since this is the Small Business Coalition uh, forum. Um, I, why don't we start with, uh, you know, it, it's a it's a packed race. Let's let's not, let's, not, let's not get around. There's a lot of Democrats running. Um, the uh, primary is September 13th. So that's the uh, that's the first uh, step in this race is, is the September 13th primary. And then whoever uh, comes out of that, it, obviously, it, you hope it to be yourself, uh, will be facing Alan Fung uh, for the general election in November. Uh, tell us a bit, you know, where you are right now. How are you feeling? You know, we, there was a big Boston Globe poll this week that came out, with, yeah. you know, which is, again, I think in, in this particular race is a little still kind of. I don't want to say deceiving because it's a good poll, but, you know, kind of up in the air because there's so many uh, people in the race. How do you feel? What, what do you think uh, about that? Well, poll? We're feeling great. So, um, it, you know, what motivates me is I'm a new father. Uh, I have an eight month old baby Max at home and I want him to grow up in a world that is fair and just and safe and full of opportunity. And um, I want to make sure that he has a bright future and that all of Rhode Island's children do. And so in Congress, I want to prioritize moving us to an affordable, clean energy economy, a sustainable economy. I want to uh, prioritize supporting small businesses and making sure that we have a fair uh, economic landscape for small businesses relative to the bigger players. I uh, want to lower the costs of doing business, particularly the cost of health care uh, for Rhode Islanders and make it easier for Rhode Islanders to get access to high quality, affordable care and low, lower costs on prescription drugs in particular. Um, and fight for common sense gun safety legislation and support a woman's right to choose. Um, I would say that we're off to a great start. So uh, what we're seeing is a, a great response to the fact that I'm the only candidate in the race who has spent real time in every community across District 2 working with people to solve problems. Um, you know, I've spent time uh, working in Johnson and Cranston to build new elementary schools, working in West Warwick to help that town convert to uh, their buildings to clean energy. Um, the town of West Warwick has not paid an energy bill, an electric bill on their town buildings in five years because we helped them build solar panels and windmills uh, from the clean energy funding uh, program that I created at the State Infrastructure Bank. I created a program called Bank Local, where we have moved millions of dollars of the state's cash that our office manages to local community banks and credit unions to support small business lending. We've helped more than 400 small businesses in Rhode Island get access 
to affordable capital, uh, small business loans uh, to help uh, grow and expand and hire more people. So, you know, I think we're getting a great response because what sets us apart is that um, uh, I've spent time in every community across District 2 working with people to solve problems and, and get things done. Um, you know, we've got a very good uh, lead in the polls in the primary, which we're excited about. And in the general, we're the only Democrat uh, within, um, you know, striking distance of, of the Republican opponent. And uh, I think that's important because, in my view, at least, uh, the Republicans in Washington have become radical and, and extreme, and uh, we don't want them to uh, take control of Congress again. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, uh, you know, we don't really we try to remain relatively neutral here with the Small Business Coalition, uh, but it, it's less a case of Democrat and Republican and more a case of just everything seems roadblocked. Um, yeah. You know, how do you how do you see that changing? I mean, you, you mentioned some of the small business initiatives that you worked on, you know, here in the state as a general treasurer. But across the country, when you're dealing with a large uh, body of all sorts of personalities, let's be honest, uh, you know, across the across the whole spectrum. Uh, how do you see that working? How do you see that uh, being able to, you know, you you, you fit in how, how you would uh, engage? And, and again, you know, bringing it back a little bit to small business, how would it work for uh, for that type of the sector of the economy? Yeah, so I, I have a track record of working across the aisle to pass legislation here in Rhode Island on a bipartisan basis. And I'll bring that experience to Washington. Um, I'll just give you two quick examples. The very first bill that I uh, passed when I took office as state treasurer was a bill called the ABLE Act that created tax-free savings accounts for kids with disabilities and, um, and their caregivers. Uh, that was a bill where we had a Republican lead sponsor in the House and a Democratic lead sponsor in the Senate. Uh, we worked with them to draft that legislation and pass it and implement it. Um, so the very first bill that I worked on in Washington was a bill, I'm sorry, in, a, in uh, the State House was a bill uh, that passed uh, with uh, bipartisan sponsorship. Uh, similarly, the school construction program uh, that I developed uh, passed the General Assembly with broad bipartisan support and was approved by voters on the ballot in 2018 with uh, more than three quarters of the vote. So I, I do have experience working across the aisle uh, to get things done. I'll bring that experience to Washington. And I think that small business uh, is an area where there should be bipartisan agreement. Um, right. We've seen, it, we've seen it in places. So you know, the PPP program, for example, um, was a program that, you know, you got to give credit where it's due. It, it by and large, uh, was a successful program. It, it helped a lot of businesses and workers stay afloat in those early months Definitely. of the pandemic when there were shutdowns and, and revenue wasn't coming in. And that was bipartisan legislation that was crafted very quickly. And so uh, I do think that's possible. Um, and, and I think that small business should be a rallying point for bipartisan cooperation. No, it's it's a very good point. It should be, and it, it it it's you know again a lot of these things we think about we we kind of call them no brainers, but they end up. I mean, let's be honest. I, I'm not, you know, here in the state, bipartisanship is relatively easy. I, I would say you know yeah. you can reach out to anyone in Rhode Island. This is the beauty of Rhode Island, right? I mean, and 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 it really doesn't have these these broad divisions, you know, really striking divisions that you end up yeah. with on the federal level. Um, and that's and that's where, you know, the concern is, I think, sometimes, is you know, regardless of what side, I mean, if you just look strictly at the numbers, uh, the Republicans out of the Congress, when they're in charge, don't seem to want to pass anything. And just, you know, it's just unfortunate. And but on the other side of it, when the Democrats are in charge of Congress, they can't seem to pass anything. Yeah. Uh, so you know, it, it's really a, yeah. a, an interesting a, a dichotomy to try and understand. Yeah. There's no question that uh, Washington is broken and we are 
more polarized in our politics than at any time in, in our lifetimes. Um, and, and I am running to try to change that. Uh, you know, I certainly have my values and, and beliefs. You know, I, I think my values are in line with Rhode Island values on, on issues like clean energy and choice and common sense gun safety and protecting Social Security and Medicare. But I also understand that in order for our democracy to endure, uh, the way it's supposed to work is we all go to Washington with our own ideologies and con constituencies, but then we try to find, okay, where's the overlap? Where are there opportunities to work together? And right. I do think that those opportunities for overlap exist. I think that um, support for small businesses is one of them. And, and not just in a kind of feel-good, symbolic kind of way, but in a way that's actually meaningful. Um, I think that, uh, you know, making sure that we strengthen antitrust uh, enforcement, for example, so that bigger players aren't allowed to use their market power to snuff out small businesses. That's something that's very important. And where there seems to be some growing bipartisan awareness that more needs to be done there. Um, uh, I think that um, you know tackling supply chain issues and high energy costs right. should also be an yeah. area where there's some bipartisan cooperation. One of the things that the last year I think has shown us and COVID showed us is um, that there are downsides from having supply chains that um, are not domestic supply chains. Uh, yeah. A lot of the shortages that small businesses are experiencing now um, can be alleviated by onshoring a lot of our manufacturing, re-onshoring a lot of our manufacturing and producing more in America. And yeah, I think that should be an area where, there, for example, there ought to be some new bipartisan consensus. Let's make more stuff in America again uh, so that if there is a pandemic or a war or other global instability, um, you know, Rhode Island, small businesses, restaurants and, and others are still able to get the supplies that they need, um, regardless of what's happening outside of our borders. Well, let's let's talk about that for a minute. I I I got an, actually an interesting case study that just happened to me yesterday, which I think we'll use as an anecdote for this story. Um, I've got a client; they want some new T-shirts made. We went to a local producer here. Uh, I'll, I'll give him a shout out. It's so right in Pawtucket, uh, nice folks, and they gave us the catalog and said, "Okay, what would you like us to produce?" And I, we looked. We said, "Okay, we want that color. Our logos and this and that." And they said, "Oh, uh, sorry, um, that color is." way out of stock for months and won't be back for months. And the, the reality is, let's be honest, we couldn't get a t-shirt and have a t-shirt made for 12 bucks. If that t-shirt that they in Pawtucket can't buy from probably China or Thailand or Indonesia, somewhere overseas for, you know, a few bucks. Uh, how do we, how does that sort of supply chain issue get resolved? You know, how do we, uh, understand because you know inflation is also occurring right now at the same time so how do we have these yeah. two problems that are occurring and what, are, we, what, are, you yeah. what are your thoughts on that what do you how do we how do we tackle that? Things, yeah i think there's a few things that we can and, and should do um the first is we should expand our definition of what is essential manufacturing that must be done in america so you know here in rhode island we still have a pretty sizable manufacturing sector we have 40 yeah. or 50 000 rhode islanders who work actively in manufacturing a lot of those manufacturing jobs in Rhode Island right now are connected to the defense industry because there are good laws that say that American defense equipment has to be made in America. But that makes sense. But why don't we have similar requirements for medical equipment, for example, you know, PPE, these other types of essential things that we need in a crisis uh, that, you know, right now are being made overseas and, and putting America at risk. So you know, whether it's PPE, medical equipment, um, 
you know, semiconductors and microchips that go into, you know, critical hardware. Um, I think we need to look at putting in legal requirements similar to what we have in the defense industry for more of that to be made in America. Now, pigments for t-shirts may not fall into that category. So let's talk about that. I think uh, that brings me to sort of the second point, which is for any product, even if it doesn't have a national security implication or public health implication, um, we should be offering tax credits or other financial incentives uh, to bring jobs back to America um, and to onshore more of that manufacturing. I think that's the kind of thing that there ought to be uh, some bipartisan cooperation around. And and then finally, on um, uh, on energy costs, uh, you know, there are a lot of factors at play there. I do think that higher energy costs are driving a lot of the inflation that we're seeing in other sectors of the economy. Yeah. I've been in favor for months now suspending the federal gas tax. I think, you know, it's, it's only one part of the solution, but I do think we should do it, uh, continue to tap into the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. But also, most importantly, this just underscores the need to speed our transition to an affordable clean energy economy so that we are not beholden on the Vladimir Putin's and Saudi Arabia's and, you know, Venezuela's of the world for our energy right. supply. Um, it, yeah. It's, it, you know, it, it's absolutely essential and will be more affordable for Rhode Islanders and Americans if we can complete that transition. Yeah. And also, as we've discussed here previous on the, on the show with, with other, with other guests, uh, a lot of those types of jobs uh, do are engaging the small business community, you know, installing yeah. solar panels and, you know, in, in, you know, selling, selling, uh, energy friendly equipment, things of that nature can be part of the small business community. Housing, we've discussed many times here on the show, it, you know, obviously is a big, big, broad issue. But generally, a lot of housing contractors are small businesses, uh, yeah. you know, things of that nature. So there are ways absolutely. To, yeah, to support and, that. And I'll, I'll, I'll just note, I mean, for example, and, and so all of that is true. It can absolutely support local small business, um, this transition to a clean energy economy, and also um, make energy more affordable for small businesses. Yeah, the the latest uh, procurement for offshore wind for the Revolution Wind Project that's about to start um, was at a price that was lower than the market rate of electricity uh, three years ago before prices began to spike. So uh, clean energy, particularly in Rhode Island, can be and will be more affordable than uh, you know shipping in fossil fuels from around the world. Well, one would hope. Yeah, that, absolutely. That, that would that would that would make sense. Um, so then, but. Okay, so the other piece of the puzzle, is, as I mentioned, is, is the inflation. Let, let, let's be honest. We're, we're, we're never going to uh, have the healthcare uh, system that works quite well in, you know, in other parts of the world where it's, it's you know, little to no cost for employers, which is a huge burden on small businesses here in Rhode Island. Uh, I, I say never, but hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully one day that does change. But, but either way, it's a huge cost for small businesses. Uh, you know, we obviously have higher cost of living here than in other parts of the world. Uh, and so employees need to be, be paid more. So some of these things, you know, I, I know we've had the discussion over the years, we, you know, manufacturing, bring manufacturing back and how do we do that? Some of it just can't come back. I mean, let's be honest, because, you know, with the costs of things the way they are here, uh, because we live a good life here, we're not no one's critical of the life that we're living here. It's just it's just the reality. Uh, you can't lower some of those costs. So how do you start combating what we're all seeing is very painful inflation? Yeah, so it's some of what I just mentioned, right? So I do believe we should suspend the federal gas tax. We should um, utilize the strategic petroleum reserve. In the short run, we should do things to help lower the cost of energy. And then in the longer run, um, although not too long, we've got to speed this transition to a clean energy economy, which would be more affordable for people. Um, 
you know, similarly, I do think that some onshoring of manufacturing and shortening some of our supply chains will help lower costs. I think stricter antitrust enforcement will help as well. Um, you know, part of why costs have gone up is because a lot of industries uh, have become so consolidated that there's just a few big companies left that have a lot of market power uh, to raise prices and stronger antitrust enforcement will help with that. And, um, you know, on healthcare, as you mentioned, there's a lot of things that we could do to lower the cost of healthcare. Number one on my list is allowing uh, the federal government, Medicare and Medicaid, to negotiate prices with the drug companies. Um, right now, the VA uh, has the authority to negotiate with the drug companies to lower the cost of drugs for veterans, and it works pretty well. Um, but Medicare and Medicaid, which in Rhode Island, uh, nearly half uh, of Rhode Islanders uh, get their health insurance from one of those programs, doesn't have the authority to do that. The federal government should be able to negotiate lower drug prices for everyone, regardless of what type of insurance they have, uh, which would help uh, not only consumers, but uh, their employers as well. Uh, so it's an excellent point about healthcare. Yeah. Uh, okay. You mentioned the PPP program earlier, something that obviously was very successful for many yeah. people. Um, you know, let's, let's look at that from a, a, a different perspective. Uh, that came along and, and other things also as well during the pandemic, obviously child tax credits and things of that nature, all of which were very helpful to, uh, to small business owners because they were able to take advantage of those credits to take care of their children when they had to be home from school, you know, for, for distance learning. Those were all meant to help and alleviate a big problem, the pandemic. Do you think there's some other way that we can help and alleviate a big problem like inflation with some type of system like that to help small businesses? I mean, I'm not saying like just hand out, you know, checks because yeah. the going up in price. But, you know, what 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 are we looking at that Congress can do that that perhaps uh, helps out businesses, not not just small businesses, but even the, the you know, the average, you know, uh, you know, larger size business. Yeah. But so all, of these things, all of these things play a role. Suspending the gas tax plays a role. Negotiating with the drug companies plays a role. Onshoring manufacturing plays a role. Another one that I would highlight is um, uh, support for child care and universal pre-K. Um, we have a labor shortage. You hear it in every sector of the economy right, right now. Uh, by better supporting child care and pre-K, which the federal government can and should do, uh, it'll free up more parents to re-enter the workforce and help address some of the labor shortages uh, that we're seeing across the economy, in addition to being good for kids, by the way. Right. And yeah. so um, that's something that I certainly want to prioritize as well that I think would be a big help to small businesses, particularly in, in you know, the food and beverage and, and hospitality industries. Um, if we can make childcare more affordable for families, it will help families not only by making it easier for them to afford that care for their kids, but also making it easier for more parents to go back to work, take on more shifts, um, do more things that otherwise they wouldn't be able to do. That's a good point. I mean, the labor market is it's it's bizarre right now. I mean, really, it, it is so strange to see what is going on right now. I mean, it, you know, obviously it's a it's a good number to see the unemployment number so low, uh, but it is shocking the number of people I talk to almost on a daily basis that can't find employees so they they have to actually close close the store some days or close the restaurant you know certain hours uh it really is a very strange situation we have to make it easier for people to go back to work and so yeah. expanding access to child care is one way expanding the earned income tax credit is another um that's one of my earned income tax credit is one of my favorite policy interventions because it's basically a raise for workers that employers do not have to pay for Right. And so expanding the EITC, I think, could help make it easier to attract people back into the workforce. 
Um, there are absolutely things that Congress can do to make it easier for small businesses to get through this moment in time that we're living through. That's a, that's a good one. I, I, I'm, I'm glad you brought that one up. It's not something I thought of. I, that, that's kind of what I'm driving at is what can we do? You know, what can our Congress do to help these small businesses without anything coming out of the small businesses? So that's that, that EITC one is an interesting one. Uh, good, good luck with something like that. I think if, if you make it there, uh, Ben, do we have uh, any questions on Facebook for, uh, for the treasurer? Uh, no, no questions at the moment. Sorry, Ben, couldn't hear you there. I, I... No, no questions at the moment. No, it looks like looks like uh, looks like we're we're we're, we're live. We don't have any questions at the moment. As always, you can uh, if you if you're coming to this late and you haven't had a chance to watch it all, you can after we end the show, it'll be archived on Facebook for you to watch the entire thing. Uh, Seth, I, I uh, you know I I I want to I keep you. I know you were short on time today, so I think do we have any more time with you, or, or do you got to get going? I, I have a couple more minutes. All right, so great. Um, let's let, let's talk about uh. The, the, the campaign of the race itself. I, I think it's, it's a fascinating thing. A, a lot of folks out there uh, don't really understand the politics of, uh, side of it sometimes. And you certainly have been a, a seasoned politician, part of, part of the, uh, part of, part of uh, the government uh, working for many years now as a treasurer. And I think I, I have to say, you know, it, it's, it's an unsung role, but I, I think we've, uh, we've seen some nice progress in the treasury for the last few years. How do you feel that, that, uh, that, 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 that background that you've had uh, is really what drives um you know, people well, well, understanding what it is to do. Um, yeah, hugely helpful. I, I think that uh, the experience that we bring from the treasurer's office on a range of different issues uh, is a real proof point for the kind of change that we can bring. So on clean energy, again, one of the first things that I worked on as treasurer was starting clean energy programs at the Rhode Island Infrastructure Bank that have put thousands of people to work uh, all across the state on solar and wind and climate resiliency work. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we helped uh, the town of West Warwick with uh, town-owned wind and solar projects that are powering their town buildings. We helped Warwick convert their streetlights to LEDs, saving taxpayers millions of dollars. We helped Westerly uh, build up their infrastructure against flooding uh, and becoming more climate resilient. Uh, the school construction program that we started, uh, hugely impactful. Uh, since we launched that program four years ago, um, this is the program that I developed as chair of the school building task force that Governor Raimondo uh, appointed. Uh, the plan that we developed is now allocated two and a half billion dollars to repair or replace 200 schools across the state um, from Cranston to Johnston to North Kingstown and everywhere in between. So I can bring that experience to this campaign and to Washington, experience of actual, actually producing tangible results. And, you know, as far as the race itself goes, what, what I've learned, you know, from being in this for you know, eight years or so is you never take anything for granted. Uh, you have to ask, uh, you know, people to, uh, uh, you have to earn every vote and uh, and ask people for their vote and not take any election for granted. Uh, I've also found that the people who are most successful uh, in government are the ones who are the best listeners. And so I really try my best to get all over the state, all over the district, uh, as I have been doing for the last eight years, to really hear people's concerns on a deep level and work with people to come up with solutions. Well, so yeah, that's really what I was uh, driving at, and trying to understand. But you also left out one key piece of what you've done the last eight years, which I think, while it doesn't always affect small businesses because pensions aren't part of small business, it's still a huge chunk of what the treasurer's role is. And uh, as someone who's married to a school teacher and counts on that one day, uh, tell us yeah. tell us a little bit uh, because it does affect small businesses in that yeah. respect. Many of us I have absolutely. partners and and, and uh, you know have, have to rely on those types of systems. Where where are we right now? How do you feel about it? Uh, we're in a good place. So every Rhode Islander deserves 
a secure retirement, and particularly those who spent their lives serving the community as teachers, as first responders, as nurses, uh, municipal employees. And um, you know, I'm proud to report that the state pension fund is in better health now than it has been in many years. Um, we launched several years ago what we call the Back to Basics Investment Strategy for the pension fund, where we got out of a lot of the high fee investments that we had been in before that were costing a lot but not producing results. And we've come a long way. We ended 2021 at an all-time high. And not only that, we've outperformed uh, most other pension funds around the country pretty consistently over the last few years. Uh, we outperformed uh, more than 85% of public pension funds nationally last year. We are tracking at outperforming more than 90% of public pension funds this year. And so we've come a long way. Um, the health of the pension system is stronger now than it has been in a long time. Uh, we are getting closer and closer to that uh, magic uh, level of being a well-funded pension plan uh, for the first time in decades. And so we've come a long way. It's good news for the state, uh, certainly for the people who are in the pension system, but also for all taxpayers, um, because it means that uh, going forward, more and more of the pensions that we pay out are being paid for by investment earnings as opposed to uh, taxpayer dollars. Right. Yeah, that's key. Absolutely. And 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 obviously, it's it's just a prediction. I can't put you on the spot, uh, so we won't hold you anything. But how do you feel going forward if we do get into the R word or anything like that? What what do you, what's your feeling with the with the system? Oh, the, if if we go into a recession, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Very confident. Um, one of the things that we did is, uh, uh, as part of Back to Basics, we put a portion of the pension fund into something that we call the crisis protection strategy, which is made up entirely of investments that typically go up when everything else is going down. Um, and, and that helps offset losses if there is a bad economy. It's been tested once before, uh, which was in early 2020 when the pandemic first came and the stock market went down by you know, 20 odd percent. Uh, the crisis protection strategy actually gained hundreds of millions of dollars and helped offset our losses during that period. So, you know, we're getting a little in the weeds here, but the bottom line is the pension fund is very well diversified. It's in a healthier place today than it has been in decades. And so, you know, even if uh, the economy continues to slow down, we're, we're confident that the pension fund will continue to, uh, uh, to progress in a positive way. Well, that's good to hear. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I know. I, I I know we're a little into the weeds there, but a lot of our members do uh, do follow this stuff pretty closely. So I want to uh, wanted to give them an update on on where you feel we are. Um, I think we're just about out of time here for you. I really appreciate you taking the time today. I thought this was a great conversation. Uh, any uh, final thoughts? No, I'll just thank you, uh, your organization, for everything that you do. Thank you for the invitation here today. Um, you know, Rhode Island, because we're a small state, that means small business is an especially big deal, and um, uh, I've always worked hard to uh, promote and uh, uh, serve small business as well as state treasurer through the bank local program and our other initiatives. And uh, if I am fortunate enough to represent Rhode Island in Congress, uh, I will do the same from there. And I look forward to continuing the conversation and the collaboration. So thank you all very much. You're welcome. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Good luck with the race. Uh, thank you again to our guest, General Treasurer Seth Magaziner. Thank you. Take care. So that was our show this week. Thanks for watching. I thought that was a great conversation. Uh, we, we, we appreciate the uh, treasurer taking his time to, uh, to, to get on here, as, as I mentioned. And, and, you know, obviously the, the race is getting into the uh, busy mode now for the next couple of months. So uh, keep an eye on that. We've got other candidates uh, coming up soon. We've got uh, 
uh, another candidate for, for uh, Congressional District 2, Joy Fox, joining us in a couple of weeks. Uh, we've got Ashley Kalis, who's running for governor, coming up. Uh, I hope you can, if you haven't seen them, please go back and watch uh, our interviews with uh, Nellie Gorbea. And uh, who else did we have on those? Oh, Stephen Pryor is running for office as well. So you can check out those recent interviews. Uh, and please, as always, go to rismallbusiness.org. Sign up for the Small Business Coalition newsletter. There's lots happening with the coalition. We've already had uh, a one board meeting last month. We're having another another tomorrow uh, to bring our bring our small business portal to you. So definitely check that out. Go to rismallbusiness.org and sign up to get notified when the portal is open. Uh, can't wait to have you there. And join us again in two more weeks. Thanks again. Take care.